help me thank uh, Vito and the entire worship team. Wow. He's with us today, so I'm going to be back at second service because I need to worship more. Boy, something just happens when we worship God in unity, right? We all believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that he can free us, deliver us. He can set us free from anything. And there's something that just happens when we, when we engage our heart with God. There's things that happen even in that worship section right there that God can do the amazing. Let's just pray. God, we are so grateful. We are so thankful that you already were here, God, before we even entered into this room. We sense your power, your presence. God, put a desperation in us, Lord, as your people. Thank you for saving us, God. Thank you for delivering us from all the stuff that we were so involved in that took our lives down. You raised us up. You saved us, God. You gave us grace. And today, God, I pray that we would have a true encounter with you, Holy Spirit. We believe your word. We believe, Jesus, you rose from the dead. We believe in the resurrection power. And God, we believe you here. We're asking great things, God. Even just one heart, one heart today, God, that is set free. Somebody today, God, someone here needs to be saved. And I just pray, God, that you would come. Kindness, graciousness, your loving kindness for each of us, God. We thank you. No matter what we do, you never stop loving us. And we love you today, God. Our one prayer is to tell you, Lord, we love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. amen. I, I just, I just want to say, I am so excited about what God has for us. If you have your Bibles, open to Luke 14. We're going to be in verses 1 to 6. But before we get there, I just want to take a second to kind of set up where I believe God is taking us in this series. So um, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I really want to ask for these next few moments, you just dig in. I really want you to be in the Word. We're going to have it up here in a second. You can open up the MVCC app. There's a Bible there. If you have physically your Bible, I just, I want us to be in the Word and I want our heart to so engage with the Word. So um, I just believe in a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are you with me? If he did it before, like we sang in the song, he can do it again. If God did all those miracles, those mighty acts, those signs, those wonders in the Old Testament, God could part the Red Sea. If he could cleanse someone of leprosy, if he could heal a marriage, if he could raise somebody from the dead, he can do the very same thing right now. When Luke wrote this text, when he wrote this book, they were literally, Israel was in a national trauma. They were in trouble. They were awaiting for someone to come save them. They were awaiting for something, thinking that it was going to come through the hand of the government. They thought that the government was going to save their land, heal their land. Little did they know that Jesus was emerging on the scene as he was walking in the streets of Jerusalem throughout the Palestinian area. And Jesus was so so authentic, he was so real, he was so genuine that people flocked by the thousands to come listen to him. And not only was he genuine and real, but Jesus loved everyone right where they were. And he so loved them, and he imparted his love into everyone that would receive him, they wanted to change. I mean, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you want to change. You want to be more in the likeness of Jesus. It is our passion every day that we wake up, we want to be more like him. So from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God set up his kingdom. He, he, he told his people through the prophets, my kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. So here's the question I have. What if, 
what if we really lived out the kingdom of God? I'm talking about more than Sunday morning, more than just gathering together once in a while. I'm talking about really doing what Jesus called us to be and what he called us to do. What would happen? I mean, think about this for a moment. Second question is, how desperate are you for God this morning? I'm not interested in wasting anyone's time. I'm not interested in having a religious service. I'm not interested in just singing a few songs, have a little speech, drop a few bucks in the offering plate or reoccurring giving on your phone. I'm not interested in just doing that as the end all. I'm interested in your heart being so engaged. God, I will live for your kingdom. It's not my kingdom, God. It is yours. And that's where Luke, when he wrote this gospel, he was so captivated by Jesus Christ. He wanted everybody to know. And that's why the gospels are written. It's simply because thy kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth. So when we hear the kingdom of God, and rightly so, the Bible talks about heaven, John chapter 14, Revelation chapter 7, 22 and 21. All the scriptures that talk about this wonderful place. And I'll tell you, the more that I live here, the more that I can't wait to be there one day, right? Would you agree we are in a national trauma? Would you agree with me? I've never seen so much division. I've never seen so many problems. I've never seen where it used to be where you could agree to disagree and still be brother and sister. It's not that way anymore. What in the world is happening to our nation? What is happening in our homes? What's happening in our schools? I don't want to over-traumatize this. I just want us to have a reality shock therapy here that we are in desperate, desperate trouble. And we need God. We just need more of God. Now, here's how this works. Our natural tendency is to say, yes, the kingdom of God is here. I want to live for the kingdom. But if the people out there got it right and they just got in here, we'd be fine. It, that, that, that there's some truth to that, but... Let it start with us first. It's the church, it's the people of God that God requires me, he requires you. Once we step into this amazing relationship with Jesus Christ, he is now asking us and inviting us and pushing us and prodding us into total surrender for him. No reservations, total sacrifice. Where God, people matter, people are valuable, people are important. What is it about God's kingdom? God did not come to establish a cathedral. Jesus did not come to establish the physical temple. He came to build people. He came to make dead people alive. And he put his spirit in every single one of us. And the worst prayer that I can pray, the worst prayer that we can pray is, God, just give me comfort. God, don't give me comfort. Give me issues. Whatever it takes to break my heart, the things that break your heart, I want my heart to break. So when we talk about what if we really lived out the kingdom, what if we really did what Philippians 2 says and put other people first? What if we did what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those that are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, humble, for they shall inherit all of the good things of the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are my people when they come to worship service or life group. They're so hungry, God, for me. I will bless their life. I will pour so many blessings into their life that it will be overflowing. Blessed are those who are merciful, for those who don't get revenge, for those who do not hold grudges, for those that are unwilling to forgive. But blessed are those who are willing to give mercy, for they will receive mercy. 
And blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who just come like a child, an innocent child, and trust and follow, for they will see God. Blessed are those who try to make peace with everyone as much as possible, because they will be called the sons and daughters of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted when people hate you and scheme against you and rile against you behind your back and gossip and slander your name, for theirs, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you, and falsely on my account rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. As they persecuted the prophets before you, they will do the very same thing. The scariest thing about all this is Jesus didn't say that as a suggestion. He is saying, this is how I want my people to live. What if we really lived that out? What would happen? A pastor was taking his son to a missions trip in Puerto Rico. And he had been there many times before. His son was about 11 years old. And they were standing in the middle of Port-au-Prince in Haiti. And children started running and coming by the hundreds, literally in that moment. And he started digging down into his pockets. He had some money. He was starting to give the money out. His son quickly, or his father quickly grabbed his shoulder and pulled him aside and said, Son, we can't give them our money. If we give them all of our money, they'll keep coming and coming and coming and coming. And his son looked up at his father with these huge eyes and said, Dad, so what? That's what Jesus called us to do. There's something about just trusting God at his word and not asking so many questions and having to figure it out and making it on a graph chart and it's got to all make sense to me. It's just do it. Just do it. Live the kingdom. What if we really put other people first? How it would change our heart, how it would change our school, how it would change our society, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, and most of all the people that we live with under our roof. This is the one thing that unites us, and that's Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to ask you to do today. I want to ask you to start a movement. I want to ask you to start something in your own life that's so out of this world that people, as the word says, we look peculiar to them in 1 Peter. We look different. There's something weird about us, and the weirdness is these people forgive. These people are humble. These people are peacemakers. These people give to the poor. These people listen to others' problems. They don't judge me. They listen. They're genuine, but they've got something in their heart that's truthful. They have something that I want. That's what God is looking for today. He's not looking for buildings. He's not looking for gatherings and just have a church service. He's looking for people that will say, what if I really lived out the kingdom of God? What if I really did what Jesus called me to do? And so Jenna Lyra is going to be here on Saturday. This is not just a fun little concert. This is engaging your children, your grandchildren, people from the soccer field and baseball field. One of the things that we do is prepare the way for God to come. And he comes when we worship him. These things are set up so that we can be catapulted to live out the kingdom of God. When we have Fall Fest soon here on October 30th, it's not just fun and candy cane and and snow cones and all that stuff. That's fun, but it's a catapult to release you to invite somebody that they might hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about the four hours of fun. That's fun, but that's not the end all. The end all is we want people to meet Jesus and to become a disciple, to become a follower, to be a kingdom liver for him. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for revival. He wants to bring a revival. God wants to bring a national revival more than we do. 
And here's the question, are we willing to be desperate enough to do, to be what he's called us to be and to do? When Luke wrote this account, there was a definite intent and imprint that God wanted to make, not only on the people of Israel, but all the Gentiles of the entire earth. You and I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the faithfulness of God, if it wasn't for the Old Testament period, if it wasn't for those prophets that are willing to die for what they believed in and die for, willing to give the word of God to the people of God. We wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the faithfulness of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane that hung on with sweat that came out like blood because it was such an intense moment. I don't really want to go to the cross. If there's any way possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to suffer. They're going to torture me. They're going to kill me. I don't want to go through it. But not mine. Your will, your will be done. So, when you step out today, we're going to read this text. I want you to climb into these pages of scripture. I, I literally, I want you to climb into this scenario. We're going to go into a home of a very prominent Pharisee. And, and the Jesus that is there, the Jesus that is here, is the same Jesus that fought for your soul. I, 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 I don't want any one of us here to, he fought for your soul against the devil. We're not playing games here. We're not just coming to church. We are disciples of Jesus. There are people's souls, your friends, their soul is hanging in the balance. And Jesus already won the victory. We just get to walk in it now. So living out the kingdom, it's not all hard work. It's not all up to me. It's not all self-effort. His spirit guides us and he flows through us so that we might just be a representative of heaven. Does that make sense? Jesus made some pretty hard, hard, hardcore statements. Thousands hung around, but only a few followed. Let me, just, let me just remind us of a few things, and then we'll get into the text. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't saying, I want to kill off everybody. What he's saying is, if you choose me, there's going to be a dividing line, and not everybody's going to say, oh, I'm so glad you're following Jesus. I'm so glad you decided to go to church. I'm so glad you devoted your life to God. You know as well as I do, not everyone's going to do that. And so the real question is, are you willing to stand when there's no one to stand with you? The second thing Jesus said throughout the Gospels in Matthew, he said, let the dead bury their own dead. I want to come follow you, Lord, but I got to go bury my father. Go take care of that because it took years to do that. And Jesus is saying, I need you to follow me now. Your father will be taken care of. His soul is already gone to be with the Lord in heaven. But I need you to follow me now. Don't waste time. Don't look back. Matthew 6, he said, if you hate anyone, you have already murdered them in your heart. This is tough stuff. This is kingdom living. But what if we really did this? I think for some of us, and I find myself falling into this place also, is I just will slip into this place called grace. Well, I'm justified so I can murder this person in my mind. They've been so hateful to me. They conspired against me. They trapped me. Anybody here ever experienced anyone trapping you, entrapping you for something? And we can easily justify that. Jesus says, no, that's not the way of my kingdom. Matthew chapter 10, just a couple more. Jesus says, don't fear what man can do to you, but fear the one who can throw your soul into hell. Tough stuff. I know this is not popular stuff. This is not feel good stuff. But either we believe the word or we don't. And if we believe the word, let's just do it. 
Mark chapter 10, sell what you have and give to the poor. That was that specific contest. What's holding me back? What's holding me back from giving everything to Jesus? Jesus also said in Mark, deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. And of course, Matthew 6, one of my favorites of all time, is seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, your mortgage, your friendships, your job, your clients, everything, I'll take care of all that for you if you just put me first. So when pastors all over the nation are preaching the word and sharing with their people and hopefully we want to all follow Jesus and we have to talk about some of the uncomfortable stuff, stuff like money. Money makes this happen. Money makes some of this ministry happen. Oh no, we don't want to talk about money because if we talk about money, then people will leave. Listen, it is a joy to give my money to God. It is a joy to say, God, everything is for everything that I have, God, you let me have it. Of course, you gave me the ability to work, but I'm so thankful. It's all yours. So God, you tell me how you want me to manage what you've given me. And when we stand before the people, as all of our pastoral team does, and we just give 10% of our income back to God, because he said, look, it's a joy to give. We give because of grace. There's not any haranguing. We're not pressuring you. It's releasing to give all my first fruits to God. And watch the blessings just come. Now, in this particular context, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is invited to the, a man who's a prominent leader in society. He's a prominent leader. People know him. He's very significant. Jesus is invited to go to the home of this man who's a Pharisee, which in the biblical days, these men were called the separatists. They were so separated from everybody else because they thought they were better than everybody else. They took the word of God in the Old Testament, the 613 laws, and they actually made up their own rules off of the 613 laws. So now there's 854 laws, and if you break any one of those laws, you have to come to us. You see, they set up a religious system that was so, it was so constrictive that the people couldn't move. And that's why, they were, that's why they were so desperate for the government, the Romans, to, 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 to be wiped out. And they thought the Messiah was going to wipe out the government. And Jesus was going to be in the White House. If we could just get Jesus in the White House, everything would be good. I'd rather talk about your house. Because it's not magic to get the right person in the White House. That's important. But that's not the end all. Let's talk about my house. Let's talk about your house. Are we really living out the kingdom? Jesus goes into this house... And you're going to find out in just a second, Jesus was entrapped. They trapped him. But I love Jesus because Jesus is God. He knew all that. Now, I've got to be honest with you. If I knew someone was going to trap me, I wouldn't go in. I'd, 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 Pastor Brian, could you take that meeting for me, please? But Jesus doesn't do that with all his compassion and truth. He goes into that scenario, and let's see what happens here. In Luke 14, one Sabbath day, Jesus went in to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees. And the people were watching him closely. And there was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Some of your Bible versions may say he suffered from dropsy. It was a swelling of the legs, probably a heart or some kind of condition of circulation. No one could do anything for him. He was helpless, and so he's here in this home with Jesus. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? And when they refused to answer, look at these guys. They won't even answer the question. 
Be a man. Answer the question. Speak up. They can't even do that. Jesus touched the sick man. Watch this. And healed him and sent him away. And then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush in to get him out? And again, they could not, they would not answer him. These these six verses are so simple. It's so simple, isn't it? You guys judge me. You guys entrap me. Really what Jesus is saying. And I know know your hearts. I know every single one of you because I created you. If one of your cows or your ox or one of your animals was stuck in a pit, you're going to lose money. And it's all because of money, isn't it? Let's get really down to what it matters. What really matters, it's about the almighty dollar. You're so worried about money and the religious system, you can't even see someone who's suffering and praise God that this man is healed. I know how this works. Jesus Jesus nails them right between the eyes, but he does it in such a loving, compassionate way. There wasn't an out-of-control behavior. There wasn't slashing and tearing up. There was compassion and there was truth all rolled into one. Now, I want you to see just a couple of things here with me. God desires to heal and revive each of us. Just as he healed this man, he wants to heal you. And I don't want to think for any moment that in a room this size with this many of us here today, that some of us haven't walked in with hurt and pain and things that we carry through the day that plague us. And the trap is, living in the OC, is to fill my life with more busyness or to fill my life with more things if I can just keep distracted because I really don't want to deal with the tough stuff. When, when my wife was 14 years old, I didn't know her at the time when she was 14 years old. She was searching and looking for something to make her feel significant. And the only thing in her life, and she's very open about this, that she could control was her food. And so she became extremely anorexic. She went into the hospital three times, almost died. And, and, and here's the good part of this, is she was looking and searching for significance and control when she was thinking that if I just control this food, it'll give me healing in the heart. When she met Jesus, he completely healed her of all that. She never had to go back into treatment. She never had to go back into the hospital. God completely healed her, not just physically, but most importantly, he healed her soul. He healed her heart because her heart was breaking that there was something missing in her life, and she was trying to control that. And we all know in this room, we can't control our own destiny. We can't. It's Jesus who knows everything about us. He's the one that loves us. And and what I just want to reiterate here, and I don't want to pass by too quickly, is that Whatever you've come with here today, Jesus Christ can heal you, and he can revive a dead person. When I mean dead, I mean spiritually dead, which is what we were before we met Jesus. We were spiritually dead, weren't we? And Jesus can revive us from the inside out, which is the way of the kingdom. His kingdom not only is in heaven one day that we're going to be there, but his kingdom on earth, he has come into a home of those that were trapping him, and he does this amazing miracle to show this is the way of my kingdom. My kingdom is showing compassion. My kingdom is showing others love and care and concern first. My kingdom is about putting other people first. The Pharisees would have none of that. So here's a question I have. What are you hiding from God? What are you hiding from him? He already knows. And you're still here. 
He cares. Didn't Jesus say, come to me, all that are weary and heavy burdened, weighed down. I will give you rest. So why is it do I run from God when there are things that I'm worried about, stressed about, concerned, overly concerned, that are ruling and controlling my life? I think it might be that I have not entered in, I just speak for me personally first, I have not entered into kingdom living because kingdom living trusts the king. Kingdom living imitates the king. Kingdom living knows who the king is and people are valuable to him. Second thing I see here is there will always be critics. There will always be somebody in your life who will be on your heels And so what's the reason for that? And I thought when I accepted Jesus, I thought, man, everything was going to be cool. God God was going to take care of everything. Life was going to be smooth sailing, baby. Man, the first six months when I met Jesus, for the first six months, man, I was thinking about heaven. I was going to youth group. We were going down to Mexico. I was learning to read my Bible. We'd come to church. I couldn't wait. I was never late. I wasn't always late to church on Sunday mornings because I just, I wanted to worship this God that so changed my life. But then after six months, there was something that happened. It was kind of a cooling off thing. And I panicked. And I thought, Jesus, where's the feeling that I had when I first met you? And my youth pastor was so good. He says, you're not always going to feel it. Here's the question. Will you live it when you don't feel it? I'm like, that's a word. That's a word for me. I needed that word. And that set my life back on a new course with Jesus Christ. And here's the question I have for you. Kingdom living is not required by feeling it. Kingdom living is whether I'm going to do it. That's the mark of maturity. And then the feelings come later. Sometimes the feelings will come when we step into somebody else's pain. When we step into somebody else's nightmare. Because we know that there's one who's victorious that can help them, that can heal them, that can put their life on a whole new course. And here's the third thing that I see out of this is religion kills, but Jesus brings new life. Do we think for a moment that this man who was swollen probably in the legs couldn't move, his whole life was constricted? Do we think for a moment that after Jesus healed him that he stood up and said, well, that's cool, I gotta go down to CVS now and get get a few things. He's probably praising God. He's telling everybody what happened. Jesus, it said, sent him out. Why did he send him out? I think two reasons. He didn't want the man to hear the ugliness of all this religious stuff, but he also wanted him because he knew that he would go and tell his story. Listen, you got a story to tell. If you've met Jesus Christ, if you've had an encounter with him, you got a story to tell about what God has done for you. You don't need to take 85 classes on how to share what Jesus has done for you. You just tell your story. Has Jesus been good to you? Has he been faithful to you? Did he save you? Tell your story about how you got saved. Listen, people are looking for that. They are. They're just looking, they're looking for someone that they can trust. They trust you. Your friends trust you. Religion kills. We get a lot of people out there looking for religion. Just go to church, punch my time card in, give my money, say the right prayers, do this, do that. I, I was just in Utah with my wife the last week. We went up to do my, um, my niece's wedding. Took a road trip up there. It was so fun. We got to just take day to day, go into hotels and explore and do all these kinds of, go into the ice machine and get ice. It was so much fun. 
But one of the things I noticed about Utah is it's an extremely oppressive place. And I don't mean this judgmentally. I just, it's just an observance because of the religious spirit that is so over that state. It, there's just, it, just, it felt like everywhere we, went, it, everywhere we went, it was just kind of a, I don't know how to say, it was kind of depressive. Did you follow me? And my heart was breaking for people that are stuck in religion. Does your heart break for people in your life that are stuck? Or do we just quickly dismiss, well, well, they'll never change. Well, I've prayed and prayed, nothing happens. Someday. So here's, here's what I want to wrap up with, some action points. Before I get to the action points, I just want to say this. Putting someone else first means that I need to first humble myself. And I'm asking you, I'm asking us, as one of your leaders here, not that I got all this worked out, our pastoral team doesn't have it all together, we're still working on this, but I'm asking us, if we are going to be kingdom living people, then God is asking us to humble ourselves before others. Let someone else have the front seat. Let someone else go first in the buffet line. Let someone else have the place up front. So it's, it's the little things. People know. People take note. I don't think when Jesus came into this house, oh, I wasn't going to go there, but I'm just going to quickly do this. We just have a few more minutes, right, Brian? Where do you think Jesus sat I don't think he sat in the most prominent, comfortable place. I think he sat on the ground, which was the custom of the day. But I don't think there was a specific spot that Jesus said, this is my spot. Why? Why did Jesus just wear sandals and a shroud? Why did Jesus walk through the streets and get his feet dirty why did he come to the upper room as he did many times with his disciples, take off his outer garment, got down on his knees with the water in the basin and wash their feet? Why? Because he was telling his people, this is my kingdom. This is the way of my kingdom. So I just want to ask again, what if we really lived out kingdom principles? couple of questions and then I'll get out of your way. One is this, am I really following God and his kingdom principles? I, I just want to give a moment to let that kind of settle. Think about the person that you dislike. Let's just be real. Let's talk about this. Let's think about the person right now. Don't say their name. Just the person in your mind that you hate right now. Now you got him? That's as much as you can love Jesus. How can you say that you love me when you hate your brother, Pastor Mike? I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm bringing this up. I know this is tough stuff, but I want us to grow. I want us to push forward. I want us to start a movement that looks different than the world for Jesus' sake. Are you with me? Second is this then. 
What earthly benefits? What earthly benefits do we have in the natural? That I'm just, I'm holding on too tightly that prevent God's unfinished work in me. I'm asking all of us to ask that question of ourselves, and I'm, I'm going to ask us to pray about this, and then I'm going to ask us to release all of our stuff to God. I do not believe that God is a killjoy and he wants to take all of our stuff. I don't believe that. I think he's given us those things for a reason, to leverage that for his kingdom, to leverage that for the gospel, to leverage that for somebody else's sake. You need my car? Yeah, borrow my car. You need a place to stay? You, you stay up in my room. You can stay at my rec room. You, you can stay with us. Don't have enough money for food? Let me buy you a meal. Let me help you with your rent. You know, what would be the coolest thing is in our life groups, where someone in our life groups is having trouble, that their life group rallies around because there's relationship and love and the word of God, and we're taking care of each other. This, this, this is not rocket science. This is not digging down into the Hebrew and the Greek, and I got to figure this out. Jesus says, just do what I asked you to do, right? And there's a blessing. There's a blessing in that. Care for somebody on the roadside of life. We all have him in our life. Mercy isn't for the one who deserves it, but for the one who doesn't deserve it. That was this man. Amen? Amen. So go and do likewise. We have some special people here at Mission Vale Christian Church that I um, just wanted to recognize. I wanted you to recognize and affirm some folks that just God has appointed and anointed here. I didn't know if you knew this, but October every year is Pastor Appreciation Month. And so um, I'd like to just recognize um, some folks that serve around here, and I'd like for you to help me just affirm them. You know what's always good? We all need just encouragement, don't we? We all need once in a while someone just say, hey, thanks for what you do, man. I, I know your heart's in this. I know, I know you're not just doing this for the money. You're doing this for a job. Um, there's some folks here that aren't physically on staff with us, on you know payroll, if you will, that I just wanted to recognize. Steve Tomlinson was a chaplain army soldier for 21 years in the United States Army. He's here as part of our church family. He helps us with Young at Heart Ministry. He is a retired pastor, and thank you, Steve, for your service. Don Silber is a pastor who has dedicated his life to discipling people. Don, would you just please stand? We want to say thank you for serving all the years that you have serving God's people. Steve is... Steve is visiting some uh, of his family in San Diego, couldn't be with us today. Um, John Nelson is another just servant, God, guy who just loves God. He's going to be here second hour. But John has been a pastor for 34 years and retired about four years ago, but still loves the Lord and a servant of the church, and he's part of our family. And I want to recognize and thank him for his service. Eddie Morris, um, could you just please stand? Uh, pastor Eddie went to the same college that <laughs> Pastor Brian and I went to. So good. So good, man. He is our pastor of prayer, but he does that on a volunteer because he loves the Lord. Thank you so much. Pastor Sirk, would you please stand? He's our pastor who, uh, not on payroll, but he is leading our Farsi-speaking service. 
And so there are many Muslim people, as they came, he and his wife, uh, Ellie, came out of the Muslim faith and found Jesus. They just want everybody to hear and know the good news of Jesus Christ and to become disciples. And so they are servants of the Farsi-speaking service here. And when we get things renovated and done, hopefully in a few more weeks, they'll be back on our campus. Um, I just wanted to call our pastors forward who are um, just real close here on campus, who work on our campus, serve on our campus. Um, Pastor Johnny, could you just please come up? Um, Pastor Zach. Uh, Pastor Julio, Pastor Brian, uh, Pastor Becky, and of course, Pastor Robert, and Pastor Scott. Would you guys please just come up? Come on, let's make a straight line. Come on. If you don't know uh, these folks, I want to introduce you, and I just want to say on behalf of our entire family We value not just what you do, we value you, and we sincerely mean that from the heart. Now, Pastor Zach, we'll start on the end. Pastor Zach oversees all of our junior high, high school, and young adult ministries, among other things, family ministry as well. And so he is feverishly and passionately serving our young people in this young generation. And so, Zach, thank you for everything you do, man. Not just Sundays and Wednesdays, but I know it's a 24-7 thing, man, and we just... Love you. That's not a trip to Hawaii, but it's something that's, that's, that's almost as good. Um, pastor Robert, man, Pastor Robert is our connections pastor. And again, um, Pastor Robert, you used to work in the secular world. Now God called you here. And isn't it so much fun? Isn't it fun to serve, love the people? And so he's here, man, to connect us in and to connect us to get the joy of ministry. And so thank you so much, Robert, for everything you do here at NBCC. Um, pastor Julio is with us here um, on our team, uh, recently just overseeing now the Spanish ministry. So I don't know if you're aware, but at, at 11 o'clock we have Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters that have a service right over here in the Fellowship Center. And so um, Pastor Gerardo left after serving for 15 years here. And so uh, Pastor Julio was a part of that service, and he says, hey, if you need my help, whatever I can do. He says, you know what, why don't we just see where God is leading you, take it. And so he's preaching the service, does, he, does Wednesday night Bible study, and now they've got this incredible um, dining food ministry, the reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ of Spanish-speaking community. So thank you, Julio, for jumping in and serving the Lord, you and Carmina. Oh my gosh, I gave the wrong one to Pastor Zach, didn't I? This is Pastor Scott. There you go, Pastor Scott. Yes. Pastor Scott comes to us. I, I, I often come to Pastor Scott with a lot of questions because he's just off the charts so intelligent. But one of the things he has is this incredible passion for discipleship. He wants all of us to keep growing in our faith, as we all do. But he has the gifts and talents and strategies. And so I just want to say, Scott, you moved all the way down, you know, to Southern California. And we just love you being on our team. And thank you for everything that you are and that you do here. Pastor Becky has just recently come on staff with us about four and a half months ago. And uh, this is such a, I just got to tell this, we got a couple minutes. Um, Becky was serving at um, Saddleback Church for 20 years as one of the children's pastors, worked with Rick Warren, I mean, all the amazing things that Saddleback Church was doing. And she just felt like there was a season of time that it was just time to step back from that. So she, her and her husband Tom just came to visit us, to worship with us. And their son, TJ, works in the back in the tech. And so um, I happened to notice they were here. And I said, so glad to see you guys here. We think we want to come to church here. And so um, we said, well, we, can we do better than that? Can you serve here full time? <laughs> and so here's, I just want to share this with you, that um, Becky's role is not just children, but it's family life ministry. 
because we care about the total family. And so she is here to serve not only our children, but you and spur you on. We have the, the, the greatest amount of people now serving in uh, MV Kids than we've had in the last, I think, 10 years. It's awesome. Awesome. And Pastor Brian. Pastor Brian came to us as our uh, children's um, director of our kids club ministry, which is our after-school daycare. Yeah, kids club. It's an after-school daycare program that reaches families for Jesus and cares and loves children. We saw his gifts and talents and passions. And so um, I said, Brian, I need to slide you over into children's ministry. I need you to be our children's pastor. Was ordained here as Pastor Robert was. And so God gave him the call of just serving full-time as a pastor. Then we saw his gifts and talents also moving as many that he has in a different fashion. And that was organizing, managing, um, leadership, and all those things. So I said, you know, I really need kind of a chief of staff because i got to write these sermons, and I'm thinking about vision stuff, but I need, Brian, could you run the staff and organizational management and all this step up to be our executive pastor because he's so good at details and all those things. And he takes all the confetti that I throw up, and he brings it into a, a form and says, yeah, I think we can do that. And so I thank God, Pastor Brian, just... Again, not because of what you do. I love what all of you do, but we sincerely love who you are and what God is doing in you. So thank you. Thank you, Pastor Brian. Okay, now I'm going to ask for these back because we're going we're to do the second service. <laughs> Tithe, and then we give them two gifts. No. This is communion time, and so... Um, we're going to remember what it's all about. And I can just tell you, all these folks here, they're not serving here because of the money. They're not serving because of a job. They serve here because they've been called and they love Jesus. You know when you're called to something, you know what that feels like. You were created to do this, right? That's the best place to be. I think of our military that are called to serve. My wife and I, when we lived in Hawaii, there was a memorial Vietnam wall that they bring every year down to Waikiki area. And it was set up so many hundreds of feet. And it was kind of a quiet moment. There weren't many people there. My wife and I were there because my father-in-law served and my mother-in-law both were in the Marine Corps. 30 years, Lieutenant Colonel in the Marine Corps. And we walked up to this memorial of Vietnam veterans. And I saw one man and he had a small piece of onion skin paper. And he held it up and he was with a pencil just ever so slightly trying to get the imprint of a name on that, I just reverently and respectfully asked him what he was doing. He looked back at me and he said, this was my brother. And every year I come to remember and honor him. Jesus gave the bread and the juice and he said to his followers, please do this to remember me. Take this juice, take this wafer. I want you to take this something physical, because I want you to remember my love. I want you to remember my covenant that I made with you. So we're going to give you some time, just a few moments to quietly just remember the Lord. The communion elements are right in front of the seat back chair. And then we'll just close in some worship. So Father, thank you again for the cross. Without the cross, we'd be lost. Without your love, thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.